0: Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we examined the first half of Lara Hogue's closing argument on behalf of Greg McMichael, including a review of the fallout from her controversial reference to Ahmaud Arbery's quote, long, dirty toenails, end quote. In this episode, we follow Hogue's closing all the way to its conclusion. That's coming up after the break. As Laura Hogue begins the second half of her closing, she conjures up images of Ahmaud arbory as an ominous and menacing intruder plundering through the Satilla Shores neighborhood. Again, these statements to the jury invoke a very specific idea of who is welcome in such a neighborhood and whose presence creates a frightening and unsettling environment.
1: There were two sets of decision makers on February 23rd. It is not just the McMichaels decisions that led to this tragedy, and it is a tragedy. I see it in your faces, and I have felt it in mine. A young life lost, grieving parents. Greg and Travis didn't have to do anything on February 23rd. Greg could have looked up from his boat cushions Saw Marred Arbery run past and shrug his shoulders. Maybe call 911. Maybe call Officer Rash. Maybe text Diego Perez. And the fear and the frustration of this neighborhood would continue. But Greg McMichael's driveway decision wasn't the only decision that set this tragedy in motion. Ahmaud Arbery was not an innocent victim plundering through Larry English's house on February 23rd. Just as he wasn't an innocent victim all the other nights, like October 25th or November 18th or December 15th or February 11th, is he the person responsible for stealing Larry English's expensive boat equipment? I don't know. We don't know. No one investigated that. But can anyone reasonably believe that Ahmaud Arbery was just doing a looky-loo on those nights in what has been described and shown to you as a home drenched in absolute darkness. The judge will instruct you that you must use common sense and reason. There was no legitimate reason for Ahmaud Arbery to be plundering through Larry English's house those four nights, and again on the afternoon of February 23rd. Ahmaud didn't live there, he didn't work there, He didn't have friends there. He didn't have a girlfriend there. He wasn't hanging out with a friend in that neighborhood who was a friend of a friend. He didn't jog through that neighborhood. He was a recurring nighttime intruder. And that is frightening
0: and unsettling
1: a looky-loo, in an open, unsecured construction site. Why did we have to withstand that drumbeat? Why? Let's clear a few things up. The judge will charge you that for burglary purposes, a dwelling is any structure that is intended for residential use. It makes no difference if it's occupied, being built, under construction, unoccupied, or vacant. And that only makes sense. How could you ever build a home if it wasn't really yours to protect until it was done? For that matter, how could you ever expect your stuff to be safe when your teenager forgets to close the garage door? Really, with all the important law to consider, why the misdirection? Why? And why the insensitivity? to the neighbors of Satilla Shores. It's only a looky-loo when it isn't your neighborhood. It's only an open, unsecured construction site when it's not the building of your dream home, hastened by this impending fatal illness of Larry English's. It's only a property crime when you're not Sue B. Lawrence across the street from that house, living alone trying to raise three rambunctious boys and you can't even let them outside to play. It's only a property crime if you're not Diego and Brooke Perez trying to raise three little girls safely next door to 220 Satilla Drive. No one but Ahmaud Arbery made the decision to repeatedly and unlawfully enter into that house over and over again. No one but Ahmaud Arbery made the decision to run like the wind when the police car responded to the calls from the owner and the neighbors. No one but Ahmaud Arbery made the decision to either reach for or certainly give the very real impression that he was reaching for a handgun on February 11th, and then to yet again run away when the police arrived. And no one but Ahmad Arbery made the decision not to stop when Travis's truck rolled up beside him to wait to tell the police what he was doing there or just plain run away into the woods or in the culverts that you'll see all over the state's evidence or the open yards or the open garages or yell the word help or just keep going right straight down Satilla Drive right into Officer Minshew's patrol car I realize, probably more than any of you, what an incredibly unpopular thing that is to say. But in a courtroom, with Greg McMichael facing the charge of murder, somebody's got to say it. And believe me, I'm proud to be the one to say it. Not to cause harm, not to cause pain, but because the truth in this place is really all that matters. Be very clear, be very clear. No one is saying that Ahmad Arbery deserved to die for whatever it was he was doing inside 220 Satilla Drive because that's not why he died. He died because for whatever inexplicable, illogical reason, instead of staying where he was, whatever overwhelming reason he had to avoid being captured that day and arrested by the police. He chose to fight. He chose to fight. To run at a man wielding a shotgun, leaving him with no other alternative but to be placed in the position of killing another human being.
0: Hogue then reviews for the jury her arguments for why Greg McMichael should be acquitted on all of the charges that he faces.
1: Greg McMichael had probable cause to all that he saw, all that he heard, all that he knew to believe reasonably that Ahmad Arbery had committed a crime and that he was fleeing from it yet again. If the state hasn't removed every doubt, every single reasonable, logical doubt in your mind that Greg McMichael was attempting a citizen's arrest, attempting to simply detain Ahmad Arbery for the police on February 23rd, then you have reached your verdict, ladies and gentlemen, on counts two through nine. But if they have left you wanting to know more. If they have left you wanting to inquire into the next steps of these offenses, there are still more steps. One of those is causation. How any of the other acts in counts two through nine, other than the actual shooting of Ahmaud Arbery, could have been the direct cause of Ahmad Arbery's death, or that it would have played a substantial and necessary part in causing the death. You would have to find that the goal of trying to detain Ahmad Arbery for the police without using any excessive force, no fists, no discharge of the <clears throat> weapon, before that left turn attack on Travis, then the case is over yet again on counts two through nine. It would have to be not guilty because there would have been no causation between the counts that don't involve the actual discharge of that firearm. And then if you wanted to go one further step, you would have to ask yourself, about Greg's role in all of this, while riding in the back of the pickup truck. As a party to the crime, the state would have to prove to you that Gregory McMichael intentionally helped in the commission of the shooting, or advised, encouraged, hired, counseled, or procured Travis McMichael to shoot Ahmaud Arbery as he was on the phone with 911 shouting the word, no, without proof beyond a reasonable doubt of all of those pieces, all of those elements, the state simply has not met their case.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? As she moves into the final portion of her closing, Lara Hogue tries to anticipate for the jury some of the arguments Prosecutor Linda Donikowski will make in her rebuttal closing.
1: When I sit down, I get no more chance to speak with you. And that's a tough thing for me. I have to know that the state gets the last word. So given the state's opening and some of their cross-examination of witnesses, Despite how careful I know you all were, with your notepads and pens, with your attention, with your focus, I have to raise a few more things to make sure you notice them. Because the stakes are so incredibly high. Ms. Donokoski told you in her initial closing argument she was afraid that we'd persuade you. of. The things that we're sharing with you about the state's case. I'm afraid that she's going to cherry pick. Cherry picking is this. It's choosing and taking only the most beneficial items from all that's been provided to you and trying to turn that into a fact. Don't look over there at all the rest of the stuff. Just look at these beautiful cherries I've picked. Context determines meaning. Stop or I'll blow your M head off. You heard that from opening statement and you heard it all the way through the trial versus the actual reality that I think I saw you all write down of what Greg McMichael told Parker Marcy and what the investigators testified about what it really meant and when it really was supposed to have happened. So Mr. Ho cross-examined those officers to say, let's draw down on when that was supposed to have happened. He said it was supposed to have happened at the final confrontation. The same place where Greg's on the phone with 911, yes. That's what he thought he said. So, whatever he said on 911, Mr. Hoag asked the investigator, would that be the most accurate way of knowing what he really said? And that investigator, just like all of you, would say, Of course. You are the decider of the facts. You're the ones that are going to have to make the decision about what's true and what's not true about this case. So I'm gonna tell you I've got one more concern before I sit down. And that is, I could be completely wrong about this, but I'm concerned about it, so I wanna share it with you since I can't come back up in case my suspicions are correct. I'm afraid of why the state kept introducing into evidence still shots of Greg McMichael with various people at the scene. I noted them in the beginning, thinking it wasn't any big deal. I take down a lot of notes, like you all do. And then I kept seeing a pattern. And again, Ms. Donokoski, I could be completely wrong about this, but I'm concerned that Ms. Donokoski is now digging so deep to make this case that she's gonna to suggest to you that Greg McMichael was on that scene manipulating testimony and evidence. It seems kind of wild when you think that the whole event is on video and that the people that came in with that video said it hadn't been altered or changed in any way and that Officer Minshew is there in seconds on the scene and we see everything that's happening on his body cam. In fact, it was Travis and Greg who waved him down. But there's photos of Greg comforting his son. There's a photo of Greg McMichael after 30 years in law enforcement having a conversation with Captain Tom Jump. There's evidence that Officer Minshew said, Roddy's got this on the film, and Greg was able to say, Travis, it's captured on film. There's a screenshot of Diego talking to Greg, even though Officer Adam Jackson, who testified, said, I spoke to Diego Perez. He said, I got some camera footage, you want it? And we got the security camera footage from Diego Perez through Adam Jackson unadulterated and presented to you. So I just have to say, thank goodness that as awful as those recordings are to hear and see, they reflect the truth of what happened, who did what and why. And there is no way to suggest that there was any manipulation of evidence or testimony at the scene.
0: Laura Hogue ends her closing by pleading with each juror to remain resolute in their convictions and their doubts. She indicates that their verdict cannot be a compromise and that if an individual juror believes there is doubt, they should not barter that belief away.
1: So now it's time very soon for you to deliberate and reach a verdict, a verdict rendered by members of your community about an event that happened in your community. Glynn County filled with communities that are filled with neighbors. Why did it take us 11 days to select you? Why are you the 15 that remained? Because you were determined to be the people most likely to do What I submit to you is the impossible to set aside opinions and beliefs you'd formed before you came into court, to set aside facts that you thought were accurate before you came to court, and to promise with your oath, hand to God, to base your verdict only on what you hear in this courtroom it's kind of a ridiculous standard but it's all we've got for these men to have their day in court jury deliberations are not like a meeting they're not like a business meeting where you're going to each put in your opinions and thoughts and reach an agreement a little give and take because you see compromise has absolutely no place in the deliberative process. The only thing you're asking yourself is whether the state removed every logical reason for you to doubt that Greg McMichael had the requisite knowledge and intent to execute a citizen's arrest. And if that's the case, then not guilty is the only verdict you can reach. Because every single count in this indictment is so serious and every single count in this indictment is life-changing for Greg McMichael. If in any way your minds are wavering, unsettled, unsatisfied, then that is a doubt of the law and you must acquit. You can't wake up in a couple of weeks from now and regret the decision you made, because you can't take it back. The Constitution, our beautiful Constitution, demands no less than this certainty. The grandparents on golf carts in Satilla Shores the kids on bikes in your neighborhood, the couples walking their dogs after dinner in our small town neighborhoods deserve no less. Greg McMichael is not a murderer. He's not
0: guilty. Laura Hogue ends where she began by invoking a very specific idea of what being a neighbor means and indicating that while grandpas on golf carts and kids on bikes and couples walking dogs fit that description, a young unarmed black man from across the highway visiting a construction site is not. With all of the attention paid to Laura Hogue's comment about Ahmad Arbery's toenails, there was very little commentary on the assumptions that she made about how the jurors would define what a neighbor is. It seems fitting to close this episode with an excerpt from Judge Timothy Walmsley's statement when he was sentencing the three defendants. i read somewhere, and I don't remember where it was, that at a minimum, Ahmad Arbery's death should force us to consider expanding our definition of what a neighbor may be and how we treat them. I argue that maybe a neighbor is more than the people who just
1: own property around your house. I believe that is I also believe that in assuming the worst in others, we show our worst character. Assuming the best in others is always the best course of action.
0: That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us in our next episode as we begin our examination of Kevin Goff's closing argument on behalf of William Roddy Bryan.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.